and happy Tuesday, Lima Land. John Cook, Garrett Seawright, Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Uh, last night, we had a Monday night football game that I, I'm not entirely sure how to describe. I had said to you yesterday before we left the station that my fantasy team needed 28 points from our quarterback, 28 and a half last night, to get a win. I checked out roughly at halftime and said, well, I don't know how many points he's got, but they've scored a total of three, and I'm probably not going to get any 28 and a half points from my quarterback tonight. My quarterback happens to be Lamar Jackson that the computer drafted for me onto my fantasy team. And I Hell of a job, computer. They gave itself an A minus. We've we've covered that right here on these airwaves. I got my gr- draft grade the day after the computer drafted all my choices, and I I got an got A minus. An uh, that A minus has earned me, I think, a, a two and three record after five weeks. But but I, I woke up this morning to discover that uh, I don't know two hundred and fifty yards passing in the fourth quarter and four second half touchdown passes and. Um, he got me 44 points, so I won my fantasy game. That's really great. I also woke up to discover, actually woke up in the midst of, here I am trying to stay awake and surf between football and baseball. And my brother, I've said before, is a monstrous Rays fan because now he's a Tampa transplant and that's his squad. And he had called and cussed and cussed and just complained and griped about how terrible they were. And I was going to say, did you get that, that keep you up last night? Why is it? So So I actually had given up. It was five to nothing. And then I saw it at five one. And I, and I went into the bedroom when the girls gave me permission to quit reading books and watching cartoons. <laughs> I went into the bedroom, plop, plopped up on the bed, turned on the TV, and it was tied at five. I said, well, look at these little rays going to make this thing interesting and I managed to surf back and forth because at nine o'clock I have to watch NCIS with the wife that's the one thing we do on Mondays that show ends I go back Mark, to the, Mark Harmon done yeah he's gonna be done years he's done gonna be done man you talk about a guy that has aged in recent years <laughs> he has aged in recent years struggling but he is 70 flipping years old I didn't realize that yeah, when your dad wins the Heisman Trophy in 1940 yeah, in yeah. 2021 you're yeah. still on TV yeah it's, it's kind of tough to deny certain things and and so I went back and I literally Garrett I'm on the bed watching football baseball and I am channel surfing and I'm starting to fade like I'm starting to you know, head nodding, eyes closing, shaking my head back and forth to stay awake. I was watching the television when they came back from commercial break for the bottom of the ninth. And I can't tell you how that game ended until I go out, until I woke up this morning to discover that my brother went to bed even madder than he had been for the first six innings of last night's game. The Red Sox put away uh, the, the walk-off 6-5 win. Uh, to, to win that series. And I say all of that to say, as great as sports was last night, we're going to talk about John Gruden. Yeah. Uh, Any time that uh, Monday Night Football has to come back from commercial break with Adam Schefter in studio with breaking news, it's probably not going to be a good night for the NFL. And uh, quickly, after the New York Times had published more emails over the span of uh, about a decade there for John Gruden, um, it, it quickly became clear that that was not going to be a, a long-term uh, position of employment for that guy. So he uh, resigned before he could get fired. Yeah, I, I certainly, obviously, that's the name. You know, what, what I find, I guess, bothersome about all of it are multiple angles of what bothers me. And so it may sound like I'm not a guy that's settled on a specific opinion or perspective, and I'm really not. 
is that we, we briefly touched on it during yesterday's show uh, because it, it was becoming you know more common mm-hmm. knowledge then that, that he had had these this email about uh, Demore Smith and and, and, and uh, there were going to be more things uh, released eventually we knew they were coming we didn't know how many and over how much of a, a, a time span and we even heard Chris Mortens and others say you know he wasn't employed uh, by anybody in the NFL at right. the time that this happened he wasn't he was employed by ESPN he was a Monday Night Football broadcast but but I, I had said at the time and I don't in any way want to sound dismissive of the issue I'm not what I am is a middle-aged white guy who probably doesn't have the greatest platform and standing upon which to offer my opinion about these kinds of things. Um, you know, I'd done a, a podcast over the the, the, the the real pandemic era, late late spring of 2020 through fall of last year, through about this week, actually, is when it stopped happening last year. And I had done one of my podcasts, a solo episode about race relations in our country. And, and what I said at the time and I stand by is it's not my job to agree or disagree with the opinions of black community leaders, black celebrities, black anybody when it comes to this. It's not my job to agree or disagree. It's my job to listen. It's my job to try to understand because if I don't begin the discussion with I'm not capable of knowing anything about what they feel, if I can't start there, I can't even begin to formulate a reasonable conversation. So my conversation should be much less about conversing and much more about learning and understanding. And I, but what I said yesterday was I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm tired of this being an issue in our country. I am. I am frustrated by it. I am tired of it. But I, I will say this. Two things from yesterday that stand out to me. One, there are a, a, just a handful, small handful of people, and Jay Williams is one of them on, on here, 6 to 10, mm-hmm. uh, Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max, who says, as an African-American, he still says, I'm very puzzled by the fact that hundreds of thousands or whatever it is, tens of thousands of emails yeah, 650,000 yeah, emails. Through an investigation of the Washington football team's culture, and all we're reading about is John Gruden's issue. It sounds like somebody was after John Gruden. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I know Jay Will thinks that that's at least puzzling. I hope that no one gets their total focus on just that, because the bottom line is, the second thing that, that I came away from all of this with is there, there's going to be debate over whether or not a guy should be fired for something that happens more than a decade ago when he wasn't with his current employer. And here's my, here's my response to that, Garrett. Whether I'm right, wrong, or indifferent, here's the way I see this. If the Los Angeles Raiders would have in no way, shape, form, or fashion hired John Gruden away from ESPN if they had known about those things, then they have to consider firing him because they do know about him. I don't think yeah. there's any other way to see it. Well, and I, I, it's something we'll talk about coming up in the, the second hour of the show, too. But uh, obviously, he's going to lose the locker room after that stuff comes out. You have the first openly gay player in NFL history in your, in your locker room where the NFL has made strides. Are they good enough? No. But even in the last five or six years to where that's not an issue and nobody especially cares anymore. But the words you use to describe other people, and I, I know that the, the the very first thing goes to, this was 10 years ago. Well, this is actually over a series of seven years. Right. The the, DeMori- the DeMora Smith stuff was from 2011. A lot of this stuff goes all the way up to 2018 until he was hired by the Las Vegas Raiders. So 
you can say that was a decade ago. It wasn't. It was three years. Some of it's three years ago. And some of the words he, he, he used and said, he used and said over the course of a very long time. Now, I think part of the response can easily be, hey, believe me, I when I go through my Facebook memories every day, about twice a week, I delete it and think, I delete one from when I was 17 years old and think, oh my God, why did I think that was all right to put on Facebook? The difference is John Gruden was 48 years old in 2011. Now, you can grow and you can change and you can be remorseful, et cetera, but you do have, there are consequences to your actions. And I, I think you, you see that in play today. But at the end of the day, do you want a guy who very clearly has at least some hate in his heart for damn near everybody <laughs> who isn't conceivably a white male? Do you want that guy leading your somewhat diverse football team? No, probably not. Well, and can he? Once you find out that that's who that guy is, I don't think he can. And as if the questions of the racial tone of and the racist tone of his uh, emails initially that we knew about wasn't enough to lead to a potentially a firing, and and he wanted to insist and may well be right in insisting that he is not racist. He, that he insists that he isn't. That, that I'm not going to argue that point. But but what I would ask is, even if I concede that you aren't a racist, are you also going to say that you're not a misogynist and a homophobe? Right, and that's the like he, I, I believe he believes he's not racist. And I, I saw the video of Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy who. Uh, we're talking about John Gruden on Sunday Night Football, where Mike Tirico probably is, and he said, I I know this guy as good as anyone. I spent seven years, three days a week, on the road together with this man. I never got an ounce of that. But when you use the words that you did, when you um, bring up the stereotypes that you did, when you say the things that you did about the the cheerleaders for the Washington football team and the commissioner and gay players and things like that. It's it's hard for me to not believe that maybe you're you're not this upstanding citizen. I believe he believes he's not racist. I believe that there are a lot of people out there who are racist who don't believe that they're racist until it's pointed out to them, and a lot of people don't have the cojones to point it out to them. And, and I'm actually to the point, Garrett, where. You know, I get frustrated at times in the current era in which we live that requires us to be so staid and so in a specific mode that we don't offend anyone. In in the reality is in this day and age it's impossible to speak in any way truthfully and not be potentially offensive to someone. However, John Gruden cannot in any way debate the fact whether he wants to say anything about racism or the misogynistic things or the homophobic things at a minimum he is an ungodly insensitive human who apparently believed that he was was communicating with someone who would would be receptive who, right, who believed the who same would be receptive to the things he had to say and he was doing that fully aware that he had a national platform i believe probably that he would be pursuing uh, employment uh, yeah. in that league again soon i don't it's not a crime but that level of a lack of self-awareness has to have a consequence, and for him, this is it. Well, and I, I think, like, I think there are there are ways to say things now that you believe and you stand firm in. You have to be able to defend yourself after you've made your statement or after you've said what you believe or think or feel. 
the stuff John Gruden said is indefensible. You can't. There, there is no way around. And I've seen the the false equivalencies on Twitter already. Deshaun Watson's accused of uh, sexually assaulting twenty four women. How come he can be in the NFL? That's a whole different thing. The NFL wants Dr. Dre and Eminem at halftime. Those are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. And for the record. Dr. Dre and Eminem at halftime with Mary J. Blake. Hell yeah. It's I great. want that. It's, it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm and about people it. People are going to love it. <laughs> I am about but it. But the idea that the NFL endorses that, but the NFL did nothing. John Gruden quit. John Gruden quit yesterday. Now, was it because he was going to be fired? Yeah, probably. But the NFL didn't do a damn thing about it. Did they leak the emails? Probably. Now, does that go back to it sure is nice to be the guy signing the checks rather than the dude cashing the checks because I can't believe that in 650,000 emails for the Washington football team that somehow, some way Daniel Snyder never slipped up and said something stupid, but we now know that John Gruden did. I have a hard time believing that, but hopefully, maybe we get to that someday. But this idea that, oh, it's political correctness run amok. Did you read what the guy said? Did you, did you, from the horse's mouth, where he admitted, yeah, I did this stuff. I don't see how you defend it. I don't see John Gruden trying to find a way to defend it, and that's why he doesn't have a job today. I am perfectly willing to accept that you can have a discussion around the, the, the issue of him being fired. What I can't accept is that we know, had these things become public seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, ESPN would have fired him on the spot without question. Yeah. So don't yeah. feign for me any, any level of absolute outrage that he's being fired at this point. Again, I just say this. If the Raiders would not have hired him with this knowledge, then and they have to at least consider firing him and, and or telling him that he needs to resign. Again, agree with it or disagree with it. There's no way that you can argue that they are completely out of line in this position. In my in my estimation, that's just me. No, I, so, I think you're right. And I, don't, I, I guess my final takeaway is I, I don't understand what you're fighting for if you're fighting for. He should have the right to say, though, like what are you, what are you fighting for? What are you standing for? What are you saying to people when you're saying Damn it, he should be able to say that topless cheerleaders for the Washington football team who in the midst of suing the football team for sexual harassment saying those are some juicy bleeps that is one of the about three words that I would never even come close to approaching saying on this show. You call them juicy bleeps in the midst of a sexual harassment lawsuit. Like what? What are you fighting for in, in to say that John Gruden, someone who works for the right, team. who works for that team, yeah. what are you fighting for by saying he should have he should be allowed to say that? I, I just I don't see the logic and the what good comes of making that fight for. Damn it, he should be able to say that uh, we shouldn't be drafting. I, I'm not even gonna say the, the people like Michael Sam. I just I don't know what you're fighting for, and I I don't know what stance you're taking. By, by trying to defend that behavior. At the this point, the bottom line is we don't need to cry any tears for John Gruden financially. He's probably going to be okay. Right. But his future as, as a public figure is certainly over, and we won't. this won't be the last time we talk about the impact that it could have on an actual team. That'll come later in the program. We're going to get to our Twitter poll questions and more after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. John and Garrett, Cookie and the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back into the Basement Doctor Studio. Cookie and the Monster, Garrett and I, 
Presented by Jerry Lewis McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com. You can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. Garrett, how about poll questions today? Yeah, we got a pair up at 931 fan on Twitter. Well, the first one is in a similar vein to yesterday's question about which first down rule do you like better. We're asking which football catch rule do you like better, two feet in bounds like the NFL or one foot in bounds like college football. Uh, right now, two-thirds of people are saying NFL. They want two feet in bounds. Boo. I, I'm surprised by Boo. that. I, I'm very surprised. Uh, I, very surprised. I did not expect that. I, I, I felt probably closer to a 50-50 than a 66-33, but you can vote at 931 a fan on Twitter until 545. But NFL, though, runaway leader in the clubhouse right now. We're also asking, is the Browns-Odell Beckham Jr. relationship over? They scored 42 points on Sunday, and that guy caught two passes for 20 yards. He wasn't targeted until nearly halftime. Is that correct? That's I, correct. If I remember right. And he dropped that one. And and he dropped that one on in a pivotal situation. So uh, we will uh, we'll talk more about that in the second hour of today's show. But we want to hear from you now. Is the Browns Odell Beckham Jr. relationship over? Fifty three percent say yes. And you can tweet us at nine three one the fan on Twitter. You can also vote in the poll until five forty five at nine three one the fan. So those are our poll questions again until 545. We encourage you to get out and vote in those. I'm, I'm struck by that. We, we, we continually on this station play the soundbite of Dan Patrick saying that over the next five years, he would want Odell Beckham yeah. Jr. over. And I don't know who all the comparison was made to at the time. I remember listening to it live. But uh, boy, have things gone in a way you didn't anticipate. And maybe as much in how we haven't heard a lot from him through all of this. Is as more is as much unexpected as anything else. I, th- I th- that um, I guess justification for you know I think there's some definite maturation there because Odell Beckham Jr. four years ago is not is not being quiet about being targeted two times or catching two passes for twenty yards in a forty two point loss. I I don't I don't think he's I don't th- I think he has grown up a bit and I think that's probably why he's still in Cleveland. <laughs> You but know, you know what's going to happen Sunday, don't you? He's going to catch about he's gonna, he's gonna get nine ele- passes. He's going to get for 11 for 236 right. and a couple of scores. Hundred, I would say <laughs> nine catches, 178 yards, two touchdowns. And we're like, holy cow! Oh my gosh, this guy's great. I know the Browns fans would take that right now. They'd sign yeah. up for it if you could offer it to them. That's uh, for sure. Got another tough one on Sunday, by the way. Yes, indeed they do, and I, I, I think it's going to be fun football. But I don't. Be. I'm not. I'm not uh, invested in the Browns' need for success. I just want to be entertained. <laughs> right. So far, for the most part this year, they have delivered in that vein, and and uh, it would be nice to see Odell Beckham Jr. be a part of that for sure. You people that are saying the NFL rule two feet in is better than the college rule, you're just wrong. We're not going to spend any time on that. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. Sit there in your wrongness and be wrong and get prepared to talk about something else. We're going to take a Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. When we come back, question for you, does Ohio State's bye week come at a good time? I mean, question is, does it come at a good time, meaning could there be a better time? What would you prefer if it was different? How are your feelings? What do you think? We will discuss that on the other side of this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. I'm John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. Cookie and the Monster. Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. By week for the Buckeyes, and I don't know. I, it seems to me that every year in every sport that has a bye week, there's there's this some level of debate about the value of the bye week, and it always comes for teams that are surging and playing well. Is this bye week going to stall momentum? Is it would it be better to get through the bye week? Obviously, any bye week gives a team an opportunity to quote unquote get healthy and prepare for the remainder of the season. Um, 
I don't know. I, to me, I, whatever the circumstances that surrounds a bye week, getting it in the middle of the schedule feels like the exact right time. Like the exact middle of the schedule. They have played six. They will play six more. You, the hope is you play 13, maybe 14, 15. But it is right in the middle of the schedule. And everybody talks about getting healthy during the bye week. I, I don't know that they're all that banged up. Um, and that's the... That's, I think, part of the the question is, hey, would they have... Um, obviously, you don't want to play longer before you get the bye week with the hope that somebody's going to get hurt so you can take the week off, but would you prefer your bye week to be right smack dab in the middle of the season? I don't know, because I feel like it, it, they are hitting their stride like you pointed out. Now, whether that's because they had Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland back-to-back-to-back or not, I, I don't know, but... There is markedly it, it, there's market improvement for Ohio State, and does does the bye week come at a good time right now? I don't know. I don't know that I think the answer is yes. I, I would have a hard time, I guess, answering no to that question simply because I, I feel that the stretch that is ahead of Ohio State is is clearly uh, going to be challenging. I mean, there's it's undeniable. Uh, to try and even argue, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's fair to say Ohio State is going to be a comfortable favorite in the games that they have left. I mean, they've got remarkable challenges. So I do like that you've gotten the first half of the season behind you. You get a chance to kind of gather yourself a little bit and prepare for a run of games that obviously the bye weeks this week, starting next week with Indiana, feels like it's kind of a continuation of what you've been through, games mm-hmm. that are going to allow you to gain confidence, and everybody's pointing to that Penn State game. The issue is, when Penn State is over, there's still some mountains to climb. And obviously we know what we're hoping for in terms of an outcome with with, with Penn State. Um, I guess I just feel like it's the right time from that standpoint, as you've, you can almost separate the season into, we've gotten behind us what we needed to get our feet under us. Now a week of rest a week to refocus and really push for what's coming feels like the right time. Here's the question that I am, am struggling with a little bit, though. If, by week notwithstanding, if Ohio State's schedule had been Rutgers-Akron or Akron-Rutgers, right, a, right after Minnesota, let's say, we have akron rutgers um, Tulsa in there at that time, and then, you know, last week's game again, Maryland, and then we're getting ready for Oregon. I don't think there's any way in hell Ohio State loses. <laughs> I, I, I think have they played their quote-unquote preseason and they had been able to establish some confidence and some continuity and let some of their younger players, particularly on the defensive side, grow early that way without dealing with, with the caliber of competition that they played? Um I think they'd be undefeated and be a heavy favorite against a team like Oregon. So a bye week might feel even more useful if that were the case. I don't like that we're interrupting this ride that they're on, this rhythm that they've got, but I also do like the fact that we get a chance to take a breath and say, okay, understand as a football team that what we just went through in the last three weeks, it's not going to look like that again this year. If they don't lose to Oregon... Is Kerry Combs still calling the defense today? I don't think so. Really? I don't. I, I think he is. I, I think the loss forces your hand where 
I, I would love to give Ryan Day the benefit of the doubt that he would say, hey, this isn't good enough. But they came into the season with the idea that this is good enough. So that's that's part of my concern. Correction, they came into the season with the idea that they hoped this was good right, enough. Right, they, they hoped it was good enough. I, I'm not sure they believed it was. I'm, I believe they certainly hoped that it was. I, I, I would argue even that when you make that change after week two, you knew, you knew coming in that this probably wasn't going to work. And yeah, you did it anyway. Well, the reason and I, I would hope he learned his lesson. I, yeah. I would hope you go, okay, well, I'm never going to bleep and do that again. Well, I, you would certainly hope. But I, the reason I think he may still have lost to play calling duties on the defensive side of the ball is they were still going to play Tulsa. And that, that ball was going to get zipped up and down the field by Tulsa. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State's coverages were awful. The, I've never seen... If you were a young coach and you watched that game, you would have come away from that saying, well, I'm just going to go bunch formations with my receivers all over the place because it can't be covered. There's not a chance you can cover a bunch formation. I just saw it happen for four quarters. Ohio State's a number, you know, and they could, they were clueless. And I don't care if if Kerry, and they were winning the games, yes, but I really do believe we would have likely seen a change in the defensive play calling even without the loss because of, at least my hope is, that, that Ryan Day would have looked at that and said, we're not right now we're not competing with the scoreboard we're competing with the potential that we have as a team and the need to get to get to a standard that we're not at yet right and and that's part of the the battle of you know, like obviously they were not at the standard they needed to and into i i just think they were forced into that decision of to to confront we're not meeting the standard that we need to um on but back to the original question of does the bye week come at a, a good time i don't you look through the back half of the season there are three games against teams who are currently in the top 10 man it sure would be nice to either have a bye week before that or after that to recover and recuperate and there's a stretch there where you kind of came into the season where conceivably indiana was the toughest game on the schedule well now they're not but Penn State is, and then you go at Nebraska. You're at yeah. at Indiana, Penn State, at Nebraska, where Nebraska's you are what your record says you are. But damn it, they're better. They're better than their record says they are. I don't mean to talk out of both sides of my mouth when I say this. I think a midseason bye week has a ton of merit. If I were yeah. selecting the bye week, if I were choosing the bye week, I would have put it after Penn State and before Nebraska. That's where I would have put it. Because I would have felt like a bye week and a chance to get over Penn State, assuming it's a win, or even if it was a loss. Either way, the week to get over that and get refocused. Because I'm telling you, when they go to Lincoln, they are going to be in a fist fight. It's going to be really difficult. And they're going to come out of that with Purdue, who you would assume they can run over. However, if there's ever been a, a game that fits the description of a sandwich game, that game against Purdue is coming at the end of Penn State at Nebraska. Then you get yeah. Purdue, which you think you're going to cakewalk, and you're already gearing up for Michigan State and Teton back-to-back. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have really liked to have had the bye week between Penn State and Nebraska well, if I were choosing. And I think you've played eight games. You, I think I still wonder if they know who they are and what they are because I think it's easy to get clouded Excuse me. That your last three games are Ak- Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland. No, and that, I, I think I think that, only the Ohio State fan base are the ones that are legitimately not focusing on the level of competition because they want to feel good about their team. Right. I think nationally, people are at least but, aware that that we don't know a whole lot more than we did. But 
I wonder if there are still question marks in the the coaching office that, hey, is, is C.J. Stroud playing to a level that we need him to? I think the answer to that question is, yeah, the guy threw five touchdown passes on Saturday. But is well, he excelling only- because he's got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jeremy Ruckert, and Travion Henderson? Or is he is he a really, truly, honestly great standout quarterback? And, and I think it's hard to argue one or the other to, a, to an extreme degree. Obviously, the talent level that he's got around him is undeniable, and it's going to make you better. But what I saw on Saturday was I saw decisiveness. I saw what looked like really good reads in some big spots, and I saw terrific touch on a football even with pressure in his face. I saw a guy that looked like a quarterback, not like a really good athlete trying to figure it out. He looked very comfortable. Um, and that's what playing against that level of competition was hopefully supposed to do. I still don't know what he's going to be when he is off-platform and he is out of the pocket and he is reacting to pressure consistently, which I believe we're going to see uh, when Penn State comes to, to Columbus. I don't know if we'll see it in Bloomington um, next week you know, or not. That's, that's hopefully what this week is about. But I, if everything I'm reading is anything more than propaganda, and I hope that it is, I feel like the changes in the coaching staff and the way they've been handled and and how consistent things have remained from a leadership perspective, I feel like the coaching staff thing is kind of figured out. I hope so. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I hope so. I just, I, I, you know, once bitten, twice shy, I think. I just, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I know that there are, that there will be trials and tribulations throughout the rest of the season. And I think, at best, Ohio State is one and one in being tried. Lost to Oregon, and they ended up winning a game by three touchdowns against Tulsa. That was a seven-point game of five minutes to go in the third, fourth quarter. So, I, I, I like I, cynical me gets like so angry when I hear coaches say, "I want to see how we respond to adversity." Malarkey, poppycock. No, you don't. You want to beat the hell out of everybody. You don't want to be in a game. That is bullcrap. But I genuinely wonder how Ohio State responds in the second half of the season to adversity because you're going to face it. You've got three games against top 10 opponents, and Nebraska's got three losses to top 10 opponents. So by one score each. They've lost four games. Each of them has been a one-score game. If they kick two field goals correctly, they have wins over the number 10 team in the country and the number 9 team in the country. If they cover a punt correctly. If they, if they, if they do anything out of getting their own head If they put six of their 11 guys on the proper side of the field to cover a punt against Michigan got, State, they would have had a fighting right. chance. They are 6-1 and one with a bad loss in Week 0 against Illinois. But they didn't, so they're 3-4. and four. But that will not be a cakewalk. One final segment in the first hour. We're going to take a Don Jenkins jeweler timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk briefly about the Major League Baseball playoffs, kind of recap the picture for you. Bit of fond farewell to the Tampa Bay Rays, which was the team that I really enjoyed watching, who lost to the Red Sox, so they are now out. We will recap the baseball playoffs, what's going on now and what lies ahead before we get into our conversation about losing the locker room, followed by football at 515. We'll have a little more Browns conversation as well. So much to get to yet as we continue on Cookie and the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93 One The Fan. Final segment of hour number one. And if I had some snack cheese in my pocket, I would eat it right now, Garrett. I got no lunch today. I would be all about the snack cheese in the pocket. Thank you, voice of God, for 
making me feel even hungrier than I did when I got here today. So I think this is a great question. Garrett poses a question today. Uh, once you lose a locker room, can you get it back? I think it's a great question. I don't think it's got a set answer. This would be one of those times, 419-227-9393-888-894-3776. If you'd like to weigh in, we'd be okay with hearing from you because there are many examples. Obviously, the John Gruden controversy is what spurred this conversation, but we also have spent a considerable amount of time over the last couple of weeks talking about Urban Meyer's odyssey with the Jacksonville Jaguars and whether or not he may be or may have lost his locker room. Can you get it back? Your thoughts? I don't think so. And I think I think if you're listening, you can relate to this to your boss. Once you've decided your boss is an a-hole who you don't particularly care for anymore, do they ever bring you back to the, you know what, that guy's not so bad? Maybe it's me. No. I think once that once it's gone... It's gone, and I think everybody in Jacksonville knows it's gone. I think everybody in Las Vegas knew that it was going to be gone. I think there are other, um, I think there are other situations where that's the case, and I think it's why coaches operate the way they do because they know once you've lost the locker room, it's done, it's over, that's it, sayonara. So I I, I don't think so. Question for me would be, I, I guess, as a natural follow up to that is. I think it makes sense. Can you find an example that maybe somebody somebody who has lost or appeared to lose a locker room and yet got them back? Because here's what I believe, is if as a coach you lose your locker room, that's a very generic term that might have some very specific causes that could be different from circumstance to circumstance. That's undeniable to me. But if a coach is, is spending effort and energy and, and making concerted decisions that are aimed at getting back the locker room is that detectable does that hurt the coach's credibility or or can you get back your locker room by getting back to your values as a coach and I, the reason I say that is this the Kerry Combs situation is one that he's not a head coach okay he isn't but he had very clearly lost the confidence of his head coach as a defensive coordinator it would appear likely that he had possibly lost the confidence of some of the players on that football team and he wasn't demoted in title, but he had his primary responsibility as a defensive coordinator of play calling on game day taken away from him. And what we're reading over the last day or two in the Columbus area and, and even nationally is after the win on Saturday, he got the game ball from Ryan Day and he seemed a little bit embarrassed. But there's been a lot of reporting about his level of leadership and his level of consistency and how important that was to the football team, even though he was not the guy right. leading the defense you know, on game day. And his statement I found interesting was, if I didn't do this the right way, I would be presenting myself as a liar to my players. Most often, if you lose your locker room, it's because they think you're a liar. Right. right. On, on whatever level. I mean... You can because define the circumstance, right, they've lost but it, the is, trust in you it and, is, there is, here's what you say, and here's what you're doing, and it's not working, and Kerry Combs, again, while he's not the head coach, has demonstrated, on, at least on some level, it appears, that by the way he handled it, he galvanized a locker room through a really bad situation. Well, and I, I think that's a situation that those guys experience all the time, that at some point throughout the season, that the coaching staff says, you know what, this middle linebacker's playing better than that guy, we got to get him on the field more. And so you've got to handle your demotion, and you tell these guys you got to handle your demotion. You got to handle your demotion. You got to handle things the right way. 
and for Kerry Combs to, by all reports, do that, to handle things the right way, that endears you to your people. There's nothing more endearing from a leader than them saying, hey, I screwed this up or I got this wrong or eating their humble pie and doing it in stride. Well, and to take it the way he did, here's what I would say. The likelihood is that if you're losing lots of games, you're on the verge of losing your locker room. If you aren't losing games, you're probably not going to lose your locker room. So- See, I, I almost argue that if you if you can get your locker room back, you didn't you didn't lose it in the first place. You hit a rough patch. Probably a fair point, and may and may well be what describes this. So we're going to take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We're going to come back for football at five fifteen. After this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout on Lima Sports Radio ninety three one The Fan. Hour number two, and it's confession time here on Cookie and the Monster. See, we have a show sheet every day that Garrett prepares for us so that we can have a little bit of a rundown of what's in segment one, you know, at four, in the four o'clock hour, what's in segment two, always poll questions, segment three, segment four. Generally, segment four is the one that we kind of leave open because it's a little bit shorter and we figure out what we're going to do. And then segment five. Uh, or segment one in hour number two at five o'clock. That's this segment is the one that you want to get kind of your your either interview or your longer conversations into. And 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 I'm not very smart because I get to <laughs> reading the show sheet and just jumping around. I'm pecking away on two different computers and I'm reading stuff between breaks. And so I was supposed to talk about uh, the baseball playoffs in that little short segment, and we were supposed to do losing a locker room and getting it back in this longer segment and i botched that so let's talk baseball so we can at least talk about the things we said we were going to talk about and we'll blame the mess of the show today on this guy um you just heard it that the astros are up 6-1 on the white Sox. if the astros win that when that series is over in the american league division series I have one quick question about that series in its entirety i care about this this is it for me why in the world would the White Sox, on the day that they won a game, choose to talk about the fact that maybe Houston is still sealing signals? I am not. I am not a hundred percent sure. I that relief pitcher. I don't even know the guy's name. Uh, Ryan Tapera. Tapera. I, I never heard of him. Um, you won the game. Let's, Shut let's, up and get focused focus, on focus saving on your season because that's what you need to do. And and again, how all their success at Minute Maid. Um, they are having some success today. And it's not and, like they are and, pounding and, the ball either. It's They have played station-to-station station baseball, which I to me that's more demoralizing than hitting six dingers. They could, just keep having dudes on base. That could they, you have answered a question any better than Dusty Baker handled that one? Did you get to hear that yesterday? I did not, no. His answer was spectacular. He said, um, that's a heavy accusation. That's a very heavy accusation. In fact, when I look at our numbers – we have a better OPS and a better slugging percentage away from home than we do at home this year. And um, he said, I was listening to a song by Eric Clapton this morning, and the, the title of the song was Before You, or whatever it is, Before, Take a Look at Yourself. And and he just kind of left it there. Like, I, I'm not getting into that. I, I thought he handled it extremely well. I'm just not, I, and I picked the White Sox to win the series, honestly, because I trusted Tony LaRusso's managerial style a little more than Dusty Baker's come the postseason. Um, there's a reason the Astros are a heavy favorite uh, to get to the series, and you're looking at it. They they have tremendous balance in their lineup. They've got good enough pitching, and um, they they look to me every bit the part that you would think a World Series uh, 
representative would be. Well, you know, John, the, the reason that the players are still talking about it and the fans are still talking about it is because that's their punishment. Right. That's the player's they punishment. Get they, didn't get another, they didn't get a punishment. So, therefore, because we all know that if all the players had been suspended for uh, a calendar year or whatever, we wouldn't have ever brought it up ever again. Nobody would. Nobody would be talking about the Astros today. Now, one of the guys that Don't, did you know. get one of the guys that did get something of a punishment was was is it is it Joey Cora, Alex Cora, Alex, Alex Cora, Cora, Alex Cora, Cora who's yep. the manager of the Red Sox, didn't he got a year off? Right, like he did. He had a year off, got a break, but it was largely because he wasn't going to be allowed to manage a team after being closely associated with the scandal in Houston. Uh, I had heard wonderful things about Alex Cora as a manager. I don't have the ability to really effectively evaluate a Major League Baseball manager uh, to the level that, that, that the real experts can. Um, but I heard again, entering this postseason, there's just something different about Alex Cora and the way that he runs his team. I heard a couple of different analysts make that statement. The Red Sox moved on with what surprisingly was kind of an easy yeah. dispatching uh, of Tampa Bay and it begs the question for me. We hear this every year in the NBA, which I follow a lot, is there are certain teams that are just built for the regular season mm-hmm. and they just aren't built for the postseason. Is that a fair way to look? I mean, is it possible that that's Tampa Bay? That they're built for regular season success, not so much for postseason? I don't I don't know. I, I wonder. I find the way they approach the postseason fascinating. Their idea of openers where I need you to pitch really well for two innings. That sounds like a really simple objective. That sounds as if you can't screw that up. <laughs> Just go out there, throw the baseball really well for two innings, and then we'll find somebody else to do it. And yet, they're sitting at home now. So I, I, I just find the way they operate fascinating. But And I think they're a really fun baseball team to watch. Yeah, I, I, and, and again, they were on the doorstep of a world championship a year ago so we can't are we evaluating the entirety of the franchise on this season i'm just saying that it feels like they do things in the regular season and establish themselves as a certain level of team and in the postseason it doesn't feel as though they have that same reliability um and i don't know i mean they are very analytically driven and i am not an advanced metrics guy in terms of understanding all of them and being able to speak you know with a, a certain level mm-hmm. of, of expertise on any of them but it still seems to me that in baseball, if you've got one guy that can take the hill and get you through six, you've got an advantage on your opponent. Which is a ridiculous <laughs> sentence. Like even ten years ago, if you said that, it would sound just preposterous. That I just need a guy. If if he can get into the seventh, he's a miracle worker. <laughs> yeah, and, and still be pitching well. It, it's it's crazy. I, I I guess I wonder. Your regular season success is against the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays, two of the three teams who were in the chase at the final weekend of the season. So that would lead me to believe if you're built to compete with those guys 19 times apiece, that would lead me to believe that you're probably built for postseason success too. It just didn't shake out that way. Certainly didn't here. Now, so we have the the Red Sox awaiting the Astros and White Sox winner, which it looks as of right now with them being in the bottom of the sixth and Houston leading 6-1 and a 2-1 lead in the series that it's going to be the Astros. By the way, I I said it would be the White Sox and the Rays, so my powers of prognostication <laughs> continue to remain unchallenged. I, you picked Boston. Did you pick Houston? I did. I did. You picked both of them, yes. so you're, you're really hammering me 
on these baseball predictions. Well, I need the Dodgers to pull pull one out. So, yeah, let's go over to the National League. As it stands right now, both series are 2-1. Atlanta leads Milwaukee. By the way, I picked Milwaukee to win that series, so it would stand to reason that they would be trailing in the series. That's a 5-15er tonight on TBS. If you're a Family Guy fan, you're going to have to just take a night <laughs> off because TBS, TBS has got the Brewers and the Braves at 515, followed by the Giants and the Dodgers at 907. So their never-ending run of Family Guy episodes will not be airing tonight. You'll have to. I'm going to pull up the... <laughs> I'm going to pull up the TVS schedule here and see what they... You'll have to watch a little baseball, but I am looking at the Braves and the Brewers, and I, I guess I'm simply saying sometimes you might not want to ignore the obvious, and the obvious was that the Milwaukee Brewers absolutely limped into the postseason 4-10 and 10 over their last 14 games, and Atlanta was in playoff mode pretty early, maybe getting themselves primed for this. Um, who you got tonight, Atlanta or Milwaukee? I would love... I would love for Milwaukee to force a game five because I don't I, I don't know that either of those like I don't do, do are either of those teams good I don't know I don't I, it really certainly feels as if the NLCS is going on between the Dodgers and Giants right now it just is a matter of who's who's going to play the next round right like, right it, yeah. it just feels that way but I don't I don't know man I I, I would love to see just more baseball but I don't know that I have any faith in the Brewers to, to get it done. Well, and the feeling coming into the, the, the series was that, that Milwaukee had three stud starters that, that were at or under a two ERA, or excuse me, at or under a 200 opponent's batting average uh, here late in the season, and that, that that might give them an advantage. It'll be Eric Lauer for Milwaukee tonight against Charlie Morton for Atlanta. I just root for Charlie Morton. I don't. I mean, I, that he pitches for Atlanta doesn't... I, I really right. like Charlie Morton. I liked him when he was was in Tampa. Um, I think his experience in big spots could give them a little bit of an advantage uh, tonight, but I'm with you. I'm not sure either one of them is a very good team, and the reality of it is, and, I, and I'll take Milwaukee to win tonight. I will. I think they're going to be a Game 5 in that series, but the reality of it is just what you said. It's the 9-0-7 first pitch of the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers that, that deserves the most attention because it's a 2-1 series lead. The Giants could win the series tonight. And, and for Reds fans, this will, this will be good for you. They are going to attempt to close out the series with Anthony DiScalfani on the hill against Walker Bueller. Um, if he's right, nobody's more fun to watch than Walker Bueller. Nobody's probably tougher to deal with. I just think if you're the Giants and you can go into a, a potential game-clinching or series-clinching game and you know that you've already beaten Max Scherzer to get to a 2-1 lead, I don't know that there would be a better, more confident place to be as a baseball team. Oh, absolutely! That you beat the, the one of the best in the game. Now, at the same time, I don't know that I would be you know jumping for joy that I had Anthony DiSclafani on the hill for a game that could put him away. He doesn't have but, a crooked C on his hat; he'll be fine. I was gonna say, but doesn't matter what his name is. Ever since he got out of Cincinnati, he is uh, pitched good enough. That one, it's it's fun. Like I enjoy the Giants and Dodgers playoff series. It is high-quality baseball. Problem is, is it's happening at midnight. and uh, I ain't about that. I, I gotta go to bed. I'm yeah, old, I, I won't see man. the end of it. I'll get up and watch it in the morning. I've been roundly corrected by my brother, who's a Rays fan, who says that they weren't easily dismissed. It was I was going to say, well, you know, they walk off win, walk off two wins. Yeah, but the first game was. I mean, it, and, and, and again, it, it, I I know it is it is a fool's errand to try and evaluate a series 
on the basis of what the the numbers look like. It, you know, two one, three one, you know, whatever. It, there wasn't a game I, five. That doesn't make it an easy series. Right. I, I, I guess I, I, I would understand ask, that. I would I would say to you, was there any doubt last night who was going to win that game in the bottom of the ninth? No. <laughs> Everybody that was watching was like, well, it's just a matter of time. How are they going to get the run? Because it's going to happen. When I when I say easily dispatched, what I really should have said was I honestly expected the Rays to sweep that series when it began. I genuinely thought they would sweep the Red Sox. So to have it not even end up in a fifth game was surprising to me that, uh, it ended that, in four. that they ended that way. And it, whatever the semantics are that I should have used, I could have correctly uh, addressed it. I, I, I will feel the same way, by the way, if the Giants finish off the Dodgers tonight. A one nothing win last night was not an easy win, and if they happen to win tonight, it won't mean the series was easy, but I will be surprised at a 3-1 final in a Giants-Dodgers matchup with two teams north of 105 wins. So that is our look at the baseball playoffs. You've got all kinds of chances tonight. Again, 515 and 907 on TBS for both games in the National League. And no no baseball tomorrow night because of the scheduling wizardry uh, yeah. that is Major League Baseball. They'll have a Wednesday off and then go against the NFL on Thursday. So that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we are going to come back and get a little football at 515 after this Don Jiggins Jeweler timeout. John and Garrett cooking the monster. Lima Sports Radio, 93 on the fan. And Service Master at your service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why at Service Master, they don't cut corners. They clean them. There are several one-loss teams in college football. And I think you could argue there are several one-loss teams who are still in contention for the college football playoff, John. But who's out? All right, let's, who is, who's still in? Who's out? Let, let's start with the one-loss teams that are out of the college football playoff contention. North Carolina State is out. BYU yes. is out. Yes. Arizona State, God love them, love you, Herm. They're out. <laughs> I, I'm going to say Notre Dame is out. I, maybe I shouldn't, but but I'm going to say Notre Dame is out. I believe Ole Miss is out because they're going to lose more than one game. Yeah. Uh, they're out. Uh, sadly, Oregon's probably out. Although, I think I'm going to put a pin in them and leave them on the board for the minute. They're down at the bottom right-hand corner just hanging out. Yeah, just there's just there. I got, a little, I got a little push pin there. Penn State's obviously still in. Ohio State's obviously still in. Alabama's obviously still in. So... I, those three for sure, Penn State, Ohio State, Alabama. I'm going to say Oregon's still in the conversation. Can I go ahead and put Oklahoma State on the list, even though right now they're 5-0? and <laughs> Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's fair to say that uh, Oklahoma State's probably not going to finish with just one loss or undefeated. More importantly, I think that maybe the better discussion, or, a, or as a part of this discussion, is... Which undefeated team is is is, is maybe in in in, a, in not as good a shape as as those three one loss teams that we talked about? Because I don't care what they do, Cincinnati is going to be a team that is going to 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 hold their breath, regardless of how well they go undefeated. They are not going to feel certain that they are in. 
Absolutely, they're not. Versus, however, an Alabama team who only has to say, we are going to finish the year with one loss. If we do, we are in. Well, and that's the, that's, I guess what what pisses me off about the college football playoff is Alabama is playing in a double elimination tournament. From the start of the season. Where Cincinnati is playing in a single elimination, the single elimination tournament. Yes, indeed. That when Cincinnati loses, guess what? Sayonara, you are done. Enjoy being the 14th ranked team in the country, Bearcats, because that's it. It's over. Bye bye. And by the way, Alabama, not to be disrespectful in any way, shape, form, or fashion, I was told once that you can say with all due respect, and if you do that, you can say, <laughs> say anything you, you want after that. How about you play a game outside of the southeastern United States sometime in the preseason in my lifetime? I don't. I don't want these neutral site. We're going to Atlanta and play un, under the dome, and and that's us getting. I, you know, Cincinnati went to South Bend for the love of God. He went to Bloomington. They had to. That's what they had to do. And Alabama doesn't have to do it, but they also just don't do it. Well, why, they don't need to. I've taken us away from the conversation that we're uh, supposed to be. Well, having. anyway, I think Oregon needs chaos. But I, I wouldn't mark them off yet. I I'm think, glad you said that. That's how I feel. I think, That's how I feel. I think Notre Dame is sort of in that similar boat. That they, they need... If Notre Dame... I think you can make the argument both ways. That if Cincinnati continues to win, that's a good loss for Notre Dame. Problem is, is I think you can make the argument and say, you had your chance. If Cincinnati is one of the four best teams in the country, you had your chance to play one of the four best teams in the country at home, and you didn't get it done. Absolutely. But if they can continue to creep up and people are going to start beating each other, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan still have to play each other. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State all have to play each other. The chances of the four of them remaining in the top ten is zero. And and also zero that that the four of them end with one loss. Right. That's that's a zero. One or two of them possibly can end with one loss. Notre Dame is going to climb back up. They are going to be a top eight, seven, Six team, and if or if slash when Cincinnati falters, Notre Dame will be knocking at that door. There are two spots already reserved. Georgia has to lose twice to not be in the playoff. Alabama has to lose another time. Those the those two spots are reserved until one of those things happen. So there are a whole mess of teams playing for two spots. I, I have a question. If Georgia loses the SEC title game to Alabama, that that would happen, right? That would be the matchup, potentially. Georgia loses the SEC title game to Alabama. They both go. Yep. If it's Georgia's first loss, yes. Right. So so they both go. With one loss, they both go. If Iowa wins the Big Ten championship undefeated and Oklahoma wins the Big 12 championship undefeated, can Cincy get past either one of them? No. No. Because I that's not highly likely. If but so that, in but that, that in that situation, 13 and 0 Iowa, 13 and 0 Oklahoma, 13 and 0 Georgia conceivably. No, be well, be 12 and 1 Georgia cuz they're going to lose okay, to Alabama. Okay, 12 and 1 Georgia, 12 and 1 Alabama, that's your four. Sorry Cincinnati, you never had a chance. I, and and I, Just because Oklahoma feels like a team of destiny, and I don't think Iowa's going to end up undefeated, but they, they certainly could. The other two are in. I, 
I, if I guess Oklahoma is what they are, but I would look at Cincinnati's run through the the season and say it's better than Oklahoma's. I don't think that's a outrageous claim to make, but I think Cincinnati Cincinnati's best hope is a bunch of teams have two losses because if the t- choice is between a one loss Oklahoma or an undefeated Cincinnati, they're going to choose Oklahoma. If it's a one loss Ohio State or Cincinnati, they're going to choose one loss Ohio State. If it's one loss Oregon versus Cincinnati, undefeated Cincinnati, you might have a case. But if it's one loss Penn State or one loss Michigan or one loss Michigan State, they ain't picking Cincinnati because they're they Cincinnati is going to peak rankings wise, respect wise, because they're gonna fall into the SMU Navy East Carolina where everybody goes, oh, those aren't impressive, while Penn State is going to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. While Alabama is going to play, well, not anybody else any good, but Georgia's still got to play Florida. Georgia's still got to play Kentucky. Georgia's still got to play Tennessee. Um, Cincinnati's going to fall by the wayside because nobody's going to watch their games because there are other games going on, and they're not going to get the respect I think they probably deserve. You know what this conversation has done for me? It's made me matter at Texas. Gonna... It's made me matter at Texas than I was on Saturday. All I gotta do is finish off a twenty-one point lead in the first quarter. All you gotta do is tackle a guy one time out of the two times that they ran the same <laughs> exact the same play, damn play on a. And I, I, I you know, I, I, this was on Facebook or Twitter a while back. I said this, and I felt like a snob, but I'm gonna say it again. I'm tired of the term <laughs> direct snap. Is there any such thing as an indirect snap? Um, we could work on that. And what the hell are we calling it a direct snap for? There are no indirect snaps. Every snap is direct from the center to whoever catches the snap. See, d- direct snap, I'm certain, is a radio term because you can then say, you know, that's how, like, if I was to close your eyes and say they snapped it to whatever the hell that running back's name for Oklahoma is. Just call it a wildcat play. We all know what that it's, means. It's a lot easier to say direct snap to than they snapped it right to the running back so and so. That's yeah. a, ra- that's it, a radio. It, it, right it there. is. It is a. It is a functional use of a term that makes things simpler. But I am a word snob, and it just irritates the living hell out of me that we say direct snap as if there is any other form of snap that we've ever seen used in football. I've never seen an indirect snap. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. So, so it's called you, a false start. That's are, what an indirect snap. Are is. you a hater of the term near miss? Then, ah, uh, not a hater, but it's not my favorite. I, I, I at least can conceptualize of that. I can't conceptualize of the opposite of a direct of snap. A direct I snap. don't know what the opposite of a direct snap is. I know what the opposite of a near miss is. I've coached a bunch of them. I th- is, it, is, <laughs> a, is an indirect snap the the uh, like fumble ruski? That, that very well could be. <laughs> is that, that very is well that could the be. only indirect snap And I only in had history? to go that way because I legitimately was getting frustrated for Cincinnati and it was starting to show. So I had to find something else no, to complain about. Uh, not be a homer for the Bearcats. They need a bunch I'm of teams with two losses. really pulling for the Bearcats. And I'm also pulling for a bunch of teams to have two losses, including including Iowa. I would love to see. Iowa just needs one, but I would love for them to have two. And it's never a bad year when Michigan gets two, although I don't necessarily <laughs> see that happen. And this year, it's never a bad year when that happens. So I don't know uh, who the who the most likely playoff teams are of the one-loss teams because I think that we know who they are. They're Alabama. I mean, I don't know because I just think it's Alabama, Ohio State, and Penn State are those teams that, that – there will not be a reasonable discussion to put anyone else in a, above them if they end up with one loss, and I, I again makes me sad for Cincinnati. I just yeah, I just think if say Ohio State wins out, you've got three wins over conceivably top ten teams in the final six weeks of the season. There is a zero percent chance Cincinnati beats them 
in a resume contest. The problem for Cincinnati is they're going to change conferences in hopes to remedy that, and it's not going to change much. It's not. It's not going to change it's a lot. It's not. It will change a little, but it's not going to change a lot. I, I, I don't know that it will change even a little. Texas and Oklahoma is the only reason why the Big 12 has been a Power 5 conference for their entire – I guess you could make the argument when Nebraska and Colorado were still in there. Once Nebraska and Colorado left, the only reason they were still a Power 5 conference is because Texas and Oklahoma. I wish, I wish Cincinnati was in the Big Ten. I'll just say it. I just wish Cincinnati was in the Big Ten. I wish Cincinnati and High State played in every sport every year. I, I, mm. I wish they were in the Big Ten. I'm, I'm, I could go on and on, and I don't need to because we've got to take a Dungeon because Jeweler timeout, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the – relationship between Cleveland Browns and Odell Beckham Jr. It was one of our poll questions today, and uh, things have not exactly gone swimmingly <laughs> in that relationship, although it has been uneventful over it the has. last couple of years, it which has. is maybe, again, the biggest upset of all. And we're going to talk about that when we get back from this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout here on Sports Radio 93 on The Fan. Well, back into the basement doctor's studio at his family McDonald's. Garrett, one of our questions... Was simply to ask. That was a poll question. It's also a worthwhile point of conversation on the basis of what's gone down for Cleveland this year. The season started with remarkably high expectations, a disappointing, exciting, and I think encouraging loss to Kansas City to open the season, followed by three straight wins, and then just again a very exciting football game uh, from a fan's perspective. I'm not sure what more you would want to watch if you're just watching a game, but from the Overall evaluation of the Browns and where they stand, um, that that was a puzzling loss to lose out of that because of the outcome of the game. I think maybe not paying as much attention to the simple fact that Odell Beckham Jr. really hasn't been a part of things. And I, uh, one of the responses to our tweet is, it's been over since he's got here. He's never been a good fit. Is that and, Mike Florio that, that <laughs> did that? Because he wrote a great article on... Uh, I just think you had to give it time to to let it play out and see whether that was true or not. And now I feel I feel pretty confident in saying, yeah, it's just not it's just not working out. Um, I I know in the past it's been taboo, almost um, almost unforgivable to say they're better without him. But you know, I you score forty two points and he's not even a factor in the game. Uh Against a defense that's pretty good, I don't. I don't know that it, maybe they're not better with him as much as you just don't need him. There, there, there would certainly, in my estimation, be a very strong argument to be made for the fact that you could simply use your resources better yeah. with this football team yeah. than to use some of your resources on him based on the current construction of the team. Now, it's a big his, chunk of resource. It's fourteen million dollars. Yeah, year. yeah, it, absolutely. It, and according to Mike Florio, they have 22 days, now 21 days, until the window closes to make trades. And he thinks it's a legit, almost undeniable must for Cleveland to consider whether or not they want to make a move with Odell Beckham Jr. Now, in, in his defense, an OBJ got there in 2019, and he was playing with a very young Baker Mayfield. Yep. They were playing for a grease yeah. fire. <laughs> There's a fair Um And then Stefanski comes in and takes over. And honestly, there were some signs of, oh, my God, look what they're capable of. Right. Um, and then he tore his ACL. And he's missed the start of this year. The Browns, you know, find a rhythm. On Sunday, 42 points. David Njoku is targeted. Peoples Jones is Rashard five times. Kareem Hunt was targeted six times. And 
Odell Beckham Jr. was. I know he got one target in the first half. Th- yeah, three. And three total. Three total targets. For the game. I know a lot of people said to the Chiefs in the postseason, had Odell Beckham been there, we win that game. Now, you can't go back and redo that, but if Odell Beckham Jr. had been healthy and the Browns had managed to win that game, does it, does it change things for Odell Beckham Jr. this year? We'll never get to know that. The injury's the injury. If you're the Browns and you make a trade, I, I guess the question is, is that an insensitive move? Is that a... Is that a questionable move? I, I I don't see it as anything. It's it's not an indictment of Odell Beckham Jr. in my estimation, but it's going to be viewed that way. See, I, I think maybe the Browns' biggest worry is you trade him and get something worthwhile in return, and he returns to 2017 Odell Beckham with a quarterback who is viewed as less than Mayfield. Because then that opens up that can of worms that you thought was put away, that was sealed sealed up and finished. Baker's our guy. If you trade him to the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts turns that guy back into a superstar, you then have all of those questions all over again. I, I, I think you do to a degree. However, I also think you can diffuse some of those questions even if he goes on to become an absolute superstar again. You can diffuse some of those questions by saying... We are a team that runs the football. Yeah. This is who we are. And when we throw it, we, here are the weapons that are more than adequate. In fact, they are a great fit for the way that we play. And so they could they could very easily say, we wish Odell nothing but the best. It will not impact the way that we play. And our ability to be successful won't be hindered in any way because he goes elsewhere and has success. My question, if you're the Browns, is based on how things have gone for him, has it actually made him less tradable in terms of what you can get back? Can they get first-round pick? Can they get uh, an established veteran of another position that would be seen as, as star quality? I'm not sure what they're going to get because I'm not sure how many teams around the league are saying... Boy, there's really a chance he'll be 2016, right. 2017 OBJ again. If we can get that, that's that's going to get us over. I don't know who who's going to make that call. I, I don't either, but I think I, I think basically his his value is is only going to diminish at this point because if you go into a game where he's not even part of the game plan, it's clear that it's just not working out. Get something for him that will help you in at some point and. And move on. Because now every... And I don't know why the relationship or why the chemistry is as scrutinized as it is. Because n- nobody else has to deal with those questions and answers like Baker Mayfield and Odo Beckham Jr. do. If you can get rid of those those persistent questions, get rid of them. And it's I don't know that it's, a, it's an indictment of anybody other than, hey, we tried this, it didn't work, we wish everybody well. I, I know people view that as... Somebody won and somebody lost. I, I don't care how people view it. Get something that can help you and, and and move on. Let me ask you one more question, and maybe there's not a quick answer to this, but kind of needs to be. So let me ask you one more question. Does the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. is being so anti-Odell, that he's not speaking out, that he's not throwing tantrums, that he's not demanding a trade, that he's not making a spectacle of this entire situation for his own benefit, does it make him less tradable in some ways? I, I think so, because I, I think you can... 
you can view everything in one way or another. And I think there's somebody out there that's like, well, you can tell he doesn't care anymore. His heart's not in it because he's not he's not raising a stink. I think now, that's that's my concern because is there anybody sitting back saying, "Holy cow, he's so much more grown up. We got to have this yeah, guy." Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's out there. I don't think so. Either. I think you'd be reading it if it was out there, right? And I think there would be legitimate traction to the, "Hey, maybe we can, maybe we can move this guy." But it doesn't seem like there is. It just it, it's a it's a marriage that has not worked. I don't think is gonna work, and you might as well come to that realization now and get something for him rather than him having more two receptions for 20-yard games because that it doesn't do anything for anybody where you feel like you've got this this weight on your shoulders where I've got to I got to find a way to get this guy involved I got to find a way where if you have to if you have to work to work at it to get to that point it, it ain't working well, however it happens, we got 21 days till we get at least our first answer to that question. He'll either be traded or he won't before that 21 days is up. If he's not traded, I'm not saying the question is finally answered. We'll probably be asking it right. again, you know, before the end of the season. But that that trade window is going to close in 21 days, and I, I guess if I were a betting man, I would say it's likely that they're going to at least explore every option available to them. And you'll hear lots of rumors between now and then. And then let's see how he and the team both handle the possibility of those rumors becoming a potential distraction for a team that right now can't afford any no. distractions. No, they're if I mean they're they got the only undefeated team in football coming to your place on Sunday. If you lose, you're three and three. OBJ is going to go for 11, 273, and two scores. You watch. <laughs> He's going to have a day. I am in your corner on that. and two scores, and then we'll we'll talk about something else about whether or not they've got to find a way to make sure they get him the ball more often or whatever. But it'll be a part of our conversation. We're going to take our final Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout before we get back for our last segment. Poll results and water cooler conversation after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. Lima Sports Radio, ninety-three one, the fan. Welcome back into the basement, Doctor Studio. Poll results, Mr. Seawright? Yes, sir. We had two questions up today at 931 the fan on Twitter. We asked, which football catch rule do you like better? NFL, two feet in bounds. 69% nice uh, say yes. They like the NFL version better than college. And then the final question was, is the Browns OBJ relationship over? 58.5% say yes, it is. Wow, if they could have voted after that scintillating conversation we just had, that number would have gone up. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. No doubt. No doubt in my mind. Water cooler topics? So, uh, there, I recently learned about a young man uh, named Danny. And Danny, on Saturday, went to the Oklahoma and Texas game and in Dallas. And uh, after Oklahoma won, he uh, was part of the crew that stormed the field. Then he got in his car, drove to College Station watched Texas A&M beat Alabama, and stormed Stormed the the field. field. He got to storm two fields in one day. That is a Saturday afternoon in Texas, which is the opposite of uh, Blake Brockermeyer. Uh, He attended both games. His son is the starting middle linebacker for Texas, and his twin sons, Tommy and James, are redshirting offensive linemen for Alabama. So he went 0 for 2 on this. He and his kids went 0 for 2 on the day, while old Danny here got to storm the field twice. I'll bet Danny gets COVID and Mr. Brockermeyer doesn't. That's what I'll bet. <laughs> probably, not a, probably not a bad bet there, but uh, that's, a, that's a one bad day and one good day you know, on a Saturday afternoon in Texas there. If you've paid attention to our sports centers today at all, you've heard Garrett mention that J.R. Smith, who must be, I don't know, 30-something years old, I believe. now attending college, and playing golf for North Carolina A&T, um, he didn't do well. 
And and as it turns out, he actually did much more poorly than we thought. Not only was he 12 over in day one of the event, um, and then what was it, seven, seven over, over in day, in day two? two. Yeah. Uh, he got stung by hornets Ooh. while he was completing his second round and his statement to get stung on the basketball court in an arena. That never happens. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> said the freshman walk on to the golf team. That's one of the very few things you don't have to worry about in basketball. Other animals. When I got stung, I was like, no way. <laughs> that sounds like J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith. He, you know, he tweeted a couple weeks ago and basically said, I- I'm not a punchline to your joke. Like I, I and it, it, it kind of I, it readjusted how I viewed it because he's right. Like he's a 30, 38 year old college freshman playing on the golf team that he's putting himself out there. Like he's doing stuff that a lot of people are too chicken bleep to do, so I give him a lot of credit. Now he's not very good, hey, but he's, he's but he's trying just he, like he's, he's anybody else. Damn near twenty over, but he was only eighty first out of eighty four golfers. So there are guys Attaboy. behind him on Attaboy. the list. You're walking around like I lost a Jr. Freaking Smith. <laughs> kidding me? A long day for Jr. Long day for us and great show. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, there's baseball all over the place tonight. Again, they are going to play baseball tonight and not play tomorrow so that they can go head-to-head with the NFL on Thursday, but that's another issue. We'll be back for another edition uh, of Cookie and the Monster tomorrow at 4. Hope you'll join us for that. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your night, Lima Land. This is Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan.